This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Crudforge. You know Crudforge. They are the board game studio formerly known as Incel Riot Studios. Well, this week I want to point you to Virtue Signal the Game. It is a great and fun card game for you and your friends where... It, well, you're using take that mechanics to bring your social justice warrior all the way to social justice pinnacles. Each warrior has their own persona, special abilities, and that opens up a ton of different strategies and play styles for you. Move through basic level NPCs, through advocacy groups, and all the way up to big old corporations. Throw a microaggression at your opponent and just have a good time at your table, slinging cards and insults and laughing. Check it out at shop.crudforge, C-R-U-D-F-O-R-G-E dot com. Shop.crudforge.com where you can pick up Virtue Signal or their other spectacular game, Portland Occupied Zone, at a great price with free shipping. So one more time, check out shop.crudforge.com. Crudforge supports us, you should support them, and pick up a little levity for your table. Now, on with the show. Everybody, it is I, Ryan David. Thank you for tuning in to this very special episode of Nerd Cognito. What makes it so special, you ask? Well, I am solo right now. The plane is on autopilot, and this week we have a segment that my good friends and co-hosts, Bert and Kyle, recorded with me a couple days earlier and we're going to take a look back at a classic segment of Nerd Cognito that might have flown under the radar. The reason? Well, it's simple. <laughs> we're on vacation, and uh, I always say real life sometimes comes first. So we are going to open up with that classic segment. I think you're going to like it. You know, it's talking about a very tender subject for a lot of us old grognards. I know it's a soft spot in my heart, but what do we do when modern economics takes victim of our friendly local gaming store? That's right. Whether we like it or not, FLGSs are disappearing, and that means that a cornerstone of our hobby is also being eroded away. So check out this classic Nerd Cognito segment. You know, uh, above things that I need more of, uh, board games, action figures. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. You know, that you're not like buried under a mountain of plastic already. I, I am. You know... I, I was thinking about how fast would the game room go if there was a fire at the castle. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's basically 90% petroleum products down there. Or cardboard. Right. Uh, either way, it's going to be bad. So. <laughs> oh, let's not wish a fire. We're going to give no. them some ideas. Uh, they were on us a little bit this week. Um, tell you a tale 
uh, in case you didn't see it, if uh, our friends that are listening follow us at NerdCognito on the Twitter machine, the powers that be that run the Twitter were on it on Saturday morning. But, uh, you know, 2023 is coming up, Bert. Mm-hmm. And uh, the powers that be thought it would be a great time to get some new caricature art or portrait art or something, right? Just freshen up the logo, right? We've had it for sure, over a year. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to update our look. So we found an artist that uh, was a fan of the show. Um, normally, I would give a shout out, but once you hear this story, you'll know why I'm not giving a shout out. And I have okay. no ill will at all towards this artist. I'm gonna I'm gonna preface that up front. Um, they found an artist that they liked, and uh, they forwarded it to me, and because you know I get to say so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean you're the one who's on here every week with me, and um, and I said, yeah, I love it because we were looking for something that sort of fit the vibe for all areas of our nerdish love. Um, And I was sort of lobbying to get a little hint of sparkle troll in the art just for, just for laughs. Right. (laughs) So found an artist, loved his art style, um, was happy to, to reach out to him. Uh, I actually I was the one that originally reached out to him because back when I had a Twitter at I hate Ryan David, which is now defunct. Hopefully that'll be coming back soon for courtesy of Mr. Musk. But um, he he was someone that I regularly interacted with on Twitter, and so I reached out to him and said, "Hey, th- this is what we're doing." He's like, "Yeah, that's awesome." Um, I said, "Well, you know, what's your commission rates?" And I said, "Oh, I know you're really talented." He's like, "No, but I love the show, you know." Um, if you guys have me on the show, it's like I'll I'll have you on the show for just because, just to talk about your art. It's, right, absolutely. I mean, every, we always encourage other creators. Right, everybody. Always. But everybody needs to be paid for what they do, so I want to pay you. And so he threw out a number, and it was fine. Um, and and we agreed on that number. Uh, Saturday morning, apparently, uh, the powers that be, since I'm not on Twitter, got a message right. from him, and. Uh, he was kicking around some stuff with the arts and and giving it to them, and they were going back and forth, and they talked about it. And then ten minutes later, he he sent this message. Um, uh, I, I've got bad news. Did something happen? Uh, apparently so. He shared with his boyfriend that he was really excited that he was going to be the artist of choice to represent our, you know, our our beautiful faces Bert come on right okay <laughs> uh, and and possibly work with us on some other projects in, in the coming year and his boyfriend said uh, 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 uh. in the sparkle troll community they're on a Twitter block list you can't do business with them and apparently this guy mm. really beat up his boyfriend not 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 physically not literally no but, okay oh. um, now I wasn't there. I can't put a label on on the conversation. You know, uh, a lot of the folks that were interacting with the powers that be on Twitter were, were saying, you know, this is abusive or this is controlling. I think that it's in that vein, but I wasn't there. I don't know. But I... Right. I and there, I mean, sometimes you, anybody who's in a lasting relationship, sometimes you make sacrifices for the good of that relationship. You, you know, you... 
uh, we're both married people, you know, you, you've done things that uh, your spouse wanted you to do that you weren't exactly happy about at the time, right? Sure, Everybody and I've, has, I've so. done things also that haven't made my spouse exactly happy at the time. That sort of right. that happens both ways. To exactly. make a long story short, he withdrew. So, um, right. Well, I mean, uh, obviously he's got to make the best decision for him. I'm sorry to see him go because, you know, certainly we love encouraging creator new creators and, uh, you know, would have been happy to have him on the show. But, you know, if he's concerned about, you know, if this is something that he does for a living, is he concerned about backlash from the people who are, you know, sort of oppose you on a weekly basis? No, as it was communicated to me, it was just a a pressure relationship decision. And I get it. Real life comes first. So like I said, sure. I have zero angst and zero ill will towards this particular artist. But what I do hate is the fact that that mindset is so pervasive. Like the first thing you're going to do is check block lists before, before you take a commission question mark. Um, hmm. Especially I find it hard to believe if they're in this loving committed relationship and I know this guy is a weekly listener, big fan of the show, right? I, I know this. He was a, a fan of the show since the Mikey days, okay? Okay. Um, how does the the boyfriend not know that he doesn't that his guy doesn't dig our show? You, you know, it's just it, something's rotten in Denmark. So. Uh, whatever. We we have no artist right now. <laughs> okay. So the old Doug is going to be there for a while. Um, I know is he you're putting gonna... out a casting call for artists then? No, no, no. I know you're going to find this uh, incredibly shocking, but our friends in the OSR that are artistically inclined have already stepped up and said, hey, here's our portfolio on DeviantArt. Here's my portfolio. Here's my website. Uh, would be happy to do it. Um, just talk to us. So... Cool. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week, and this is the perfect example where community doing what community needs to do. So, uh, again, geez, I'm being all sappy again. What are we talking about this week, Bert? Well, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the local community. Well, we have some sad news from our own local community to discuss a little bit. Indeed we do. Indeed we greater do. Greater reaching, uh, you know, sort of impact of that. Yeah, our our friendly local gaming store uh, is closing its doors at the end of the month. So they are closing their business year out and and closing up shop along with it. So we're going to talk about just how the spread, I guess, into mainstream mass market is affecting what was the bedrock and the the cornerstone of the hobby for decades and that's that's the local gaming shop um, right the small gaming store i mean and when I, I don't know about when in your area but when i was a kid it started with like your local comic book store was where you could sometimes get D books and things like that and then you saw like gaming expansion you saw game stores pop up and then and now you know the sad news one of our favorite hangs is is going away Right, right. And I mean, is this a sort of a precursor of things to come? As gaming becomes more mainstream, are we going to see these, you know, small businesses that we've been frequenting for years die out? Because I've been, I've been going to this, you know, our local gaming shop since you introduced me to it. That was years and years ago. Right, exactly. 
I you know, know. Every time I made a new character, I would go there for new dice. I would look for, I would source my books there, my board games. Like it was sort of my go-to spot if I was looking for something new and interesting. Right. I know that they had a really hard time when the world shut down for COVID and they almost didn't make it there. Um, just from talking to, to the owners, you know, it's family business. It's, sure. Um, and I got to, to know some of the people there and they almost didn't pull out of COVID and it looks like it was just prolonging the agony. Um, I, I, I honestly, and of course I'm not going to go talk to my friends about their business, right? but I honestly don't think they were ever able to recover because when you're talking about a store, there's overhead and expense and, you know, they're in an outbuilding at a mall that rent ain't cheap and there's no, no rent moratorium not. at the mall. Whether no, <laughs> no. so no, I know that um, that that they were in a very tough spot, and I'm wondering if they were just underwater because of the shutdown and just never recovered. It's certainly possible, but you also have to look at things like, I mean, you know, you can get not to you know not to I would never advocate for you know always support local when you can. That's that's always been my first rule, but. If you look at the expansion of things and as gaming becomes more mainstream, you can buy D&D books at Target. Right. No, I, you know, everybody's got them. Big Bad Amazon has it. Uh, Target has it. Barnes and Noble, well, you know, Barnes and Noble's always had them. They're a bookstore. Right. Uh, but here's what's missing, right? And, and again, I know that some local gaming stores get a bad rap because they can't compete price-wise with those channels just they don't have the buying power you know no of course not um you're not buying thousands of copies to get yourself a discount and and i think this is something that in our local case was incredibly sensitive too because their primary pricing mechanic when they were cross-checking and and determining where their level was going to be was amazon and i know that Mm. for a fact too um you can't compete with that and I don't mind paying more and people are oh, 10, 20, 30% more. Well, here's the difference. Go ahead, shop on Amazon. Just, you know, don't go to the store. Don't look at the book. Don't touch the book. Don't play at their tables. Don't use their gaming library. Don't talk to their people and don't try to find a group there. That intangible or those intangibles, I should say, have value. And that's where... I feel okay, because in the grand scheme of things, it's all just expensive cardboard and plastic anyhow. Right. I mean, I would go in there and I would get, you know, somebody would be like, oh, this new this new book just came out. This new expansion just came out. Hey, we've got some new board games. Um, you know, if you like this style of play, like I've gotten some great recommendations for things that I would have never even had on my radar just by going into the local store. And that's kind of the value that it brings to me. You know, you get to Talk to other people who are in the games, gaming scene, see what they're enjoying, get recommendations, and, you know, maybe try on something that you would have, you know, never done, you know, on your own. Not to mention, you know, the camaraderie in the community. It, it was very much akin to the community that we were, you know, talking about earlier in the show when I was telling the tragic tale of the artist. Um, you know, our friends in the OSR, our friends at the friendly local gaming store, you, you could always go in and find a table 
and just pick up and play. That was worth money. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I didn't have something to do, now that I have all these gaming groups, I don't do it as much anymore. But when I didn't have something to do, you could head down there on a Saturday morning. Guys would be setting up board games. They'd be like, we got room for one more. There's always room for one more. Right. And they were always looking to cater to the different audiences that they served. You know, they, they know uh, my love of the Arkham Files series of games, right? Right. They said, hey, Ryan, will you run all of the Arkham games? And, of course, my schedule at that time, that's when I was working, like, the full-on, full-on. It just precluded me doing it. But it, I would have loved to do that because they were willing to give the space and sponsor the game and bring more eyes to the hobby in a good way as opposed to sort of this knee-jerk reactionary way that we're getting eyes on the hobby now. Um, they- right. I mean, it's it's nice to see, you know, it's nice to you know, sort of, you know, get to try, uh, try before you buy rather than see a shiny pop-up ad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's just a sad state of affair. So what do you say, Bert? We'll each cough 50 grand as a capital investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, huh? Now, so, oh, so what you mean is we're going to clean out your basement. <laughs> uh, I, you know what, though? Right there is a feasible, playable library for the in-house that is that added value that would be the difference between the five or ten bucks that you're going to save on Amazon. So uh, I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss Me them. Too. I know that this is not a exclusive to us story because, you know, we've seen this trend, unfortunately, for a really long time. And uh, they're just, you know, getting swallowed up. There were a lot of gaming stores nationwide. It, you know, it was back when I was on the Twitter. Um, the, it, during that pandemic time when the world was shut down, there was just terrible terrible stories and again it's family businesses this is how they they made their bones this is how they fed their family and and it just didn't make it for whatever reason um again i don't want to exclusively attribute this to COVID. i don't know uh maybe if i pop in and the feeling is right or if they're talking about it i can get some more dirt on it and pass it along to you off the air but it doesn't okay. matter why they're gone. The point is that they're gone, and uh, right. they're going to be missed in the community. Right. Another another milestone in our years of gaming disappears into the abyss. Oh. It is indeed a bittersweet thing, no? What a look back. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I have fond, fond memories of that particular shop, and... Uh, we miss them. We wish them the best in whatever they are doing now. I know that they are looking at some other online ventures, but it really was a cornerstone of the nerd community in our sort of neighborhood, right? And I don't use the term community lightly. You know, I, I'm always down on folks that call it the community because it's trite and it's overused in the online setting. But your friendly local gaming store truly, truly built a community because it was people coming together 
in the flesh, playing games at tables, arguing, drinking Mountain Dew, having a good time. Support your local gaming store, folks. You're probably going to spend a couple more bucks, but the philosophy and the environment that you are supporting cannot be replicated anywhere else. So spend that couple of extra bucks. All right, let's shift gears now. If you listened to the show last week, you know that we had a list on deck. And that list was, according to somebody somewhere, the 10 best horror movies of the 1980s. Well, this is a sore spot for us because the three of us are incredible horror nerds that happened to come up through the 1980s. So listen, as Bert and Kyle and I just tear apart this horrible, horrible list. It's vacation week, boys. Uh, I have no idea where any of us are going to be when this actually comes to air, but we talked about it on our last episode of Nerd Cognito, and oh my god, Kyle, get your drink ready, because we've got the 10 greatest slasher movies of the 1980s, and by 10 greatest, I mean this guy needs a hammer in the fucking head. Wait till we get to the top of the list. Okay. Oh, boy. I guess when I look back at slasher movies in the 80s, I look at that time period being just such a beautiful era for the horror genre. (laughs) It really was. We were finding ourselves, right? We were finding the method to make a good, scary axe-murdering movie. And uh-huh. um, some of them worked and some of them didn't. But uh, what's 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 your favorite? Before we go through the list, uh, has to be an 80s movie. Uh, what is your... 80s? It can't be late 70s? Can't be late 70s, so that's going to knock out like Halloween and stuff Halloween, like that. Yeah, I was going to say Halloween. Let me think for a minute then. 80s horror. Yeah. There, there are some there are some good ones to pick from, and and you can go in in multiple directions. Like you can go serious, like straight up dramatic slasher killing everybody, or you can go in in an arc that I love and appreciate from eighties slasher flicks, which was the eighties comedy slasher movie. If you guys uh-huh. know what I'm talking about, there's there's a lot of different places you can go. Hmm. Some of my favorite movies from the 80s definitely wouldn't uh, fit the horror genre, but I don't know that they'd be a slasher film. Like, I thought about the original Evil Dead. No, not a slasher film. That doesn't, doesn't, doesn't meet, the, uh, meet the requirement. It's kind of the other way. How about... Um, Bert's still thinking. Kyle, you got one? It's got to be... It's got to be a slasher movie. See, you know, my my first thought is John Carpenter's The Thing, but that's not, not a, slasher a slasher movie. Not a slasher movie, right, right. Right. And and I even went to, is Ghoulies a slasher movie? Not really. Mm, not really. Not really. Because that, that was my first go-to. And then I said, well, maybe House, but that's not really a slasher movie no. either. 
No, I mean, I guess I got to go with Friday the 13th. Well, there you go. That was 1980. That that certainly qualifies as a slasher movie. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and, and not a bad choice at all, right? The very first one. Yeah, the yeah. very first, the original one. I mean, it's it was it was good. It, it's not really the choice I wanted to make. I wanted to say Halloween by John Carpenter. Bert, where are you at? I might go uh, Maniac. Okay, Man- Maniac was okay. a good one. That was a very yeah. good movie. Um, yeah, that that, would, it, it, that qualifies. It was a 1980 release, so that one would qualify. That movie scared the I hell mean, out of me back in the day. By oh the way. yeah, um, I, I'm gonna go with a, 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 a sequel that people shit on a lot, but I thought it really had legs. And if you look at it in the era, it was very good. And that's Halloween Two with Michael running around the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember when he melted the nurse's face off in the bath? <laughs> uh, oh, thank God none of you said sleepaway camp. Oh, uh, why? <laughs> is that your is that your new pick? You're you're choosing that? No, no, no. Maniac is my pick. Sleepaway uh, camp was one that didn't uh just didn't do it for me. Not so great. Well, let's kick down this list. Starting with number ten, Friday the thirteenth, Kyle. Number ten. Number ten. Number ten. Wow, that's a that's a long way down the list. Mrs. Voorhees almost didn't make the cut. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, by the way, this list is courtesy of Movie Web, which uh, has produced some absolute diarrhea lists for us in the past, and um, <laughs> living up to their to their uh, reputation. This one is no different because my pick number nine is Halloween two. Halloween 2. Yeah. Um, both of which I think deserve to be way higher on the list. Yes. I agree. They were still early enough with Friday the 13th being 1980 and Halloween 2 being 81 that they right. were defining the slasher genre. Uh-huh. Michael Myers as a character which ironically I saw somewhere he's now the most iconic slasher of all time, which I, I, I would agree with that. I would agree. But Michael Myers, the personality that was being developed for the character really began with Halloween too. So if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, go back with fresh eyes and watch Halloween 2, and, and you'll appreciate it. With Friday the 13th, um, God, that ending was spectacular with Jason coming out of the lake. I mean, yeah. who can forget that? Right. And those are the bottom of the list. Uh, number eight, The Prowler from 1981. Hmm. Yeah supposedly better <laughs> than, than, the, than the two prior entries. Uh, it's about a killer who's a World War II veteran, if you remember, and he wants revenge on his ex-girlfriend and her boyfriend. And so, you know, years later, he stalks the teens and blah, 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 blah. Huh. I don't I'm- remember a lot from the movie, and that's saying something considering how much I like horror, <laughs> you know? I remember the general plot, but I do not remember. There's not a scene. 
There's not a quote. There's not one particular thing that sticks out in my mind about this film. Right, not a memorable death scene. I, I know I've seen it. I, I, I remember. Uh, the only thing I can remember is the guy was wearing like World War II fatigues in it, like a military uniform, but I can't remember one like death scene or anything that just kind of stuck. Right. I'll be honest. I've never even heard of this movie. The Prowler? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, maybe I'll watch it this week and, and refresh my memory. Maybe I'm missing something. But based on the track record of this website with their lists, I don't think I am. <laughs> Number seven, just to add some credibility to the Prowler, is Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, boy. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's a good slasher flick. Better than Friday the 13th or Halloween 2? Not a chance. The only reason no. this is on the list is because of the feminist agenda. This movie uh, was the push for feminism to enter the slasher films. And I'm not saying that as someone who leans right. I'm saying that from the lips of the writer, right? Rita Mae uh -huh. Brown, yeah. feminist author and poet. She, she did Mystic Pizza for fuck's sake. She wanted to empower women in a horror movie with Slumber Party Massacre. And that's why it's on yeah. the list. The movie was a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> I mean, I've seen worse, but it was not, definitely wouldn't make my top 10. Uh, number six. All right. I, I, can, I can put this one on the list. My Bloody Valentine. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's that a one, decent that's one. Classic, yeah. What was it? 81, 82, somewhere around there where killer in a miner's mask <laughs> was going after everybody <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Um it, it it had some of for at the time the most gory kills of a slasher film. Yeah. yeah. Number 5. The House on Sorority Row. I never saw that. I have heard, I even, at least I've heard of that one. That one also had some pretty good kills. That one had some good kills. Um, talks about hazing in, in the Greek life, and then you've got some really great kills. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I might have to go and check that out. I don't think I've ever seen that one, and I thought I saw most slasher films from the 80s. Right. Bert, number four, your pick, Maniac, 1980. Okay. There it is. And this is one where I would agree with its placement on the list, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was a perfect film, but it scared the hell out of me when I saw it for the first time. Frank Zito stalking and, and scalping women. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. It was, it was just a good feeling for a horror movie. And, and uh -huh. people are saying, good feeling. <laughs> well, <laughs> feeling is kind of the word for maniac, right? Because uh -huh. he legitimately had remorse for what he was doing, but he couldn't stop. And, and I think that was the twist for that movie where other slasher flicks don't even go into the psychology of what's going on behind the eyes. Right. There, you, uh -huh. you don't see the killer's conscience, whereas with Maniac, you get like glimpses of it, and it's just makes it all the more disturbing, I think. Number three, Friday the 13th, parts 
two. No, not three. Not where they give him the fucking hockey mask. Part two. Hmm. Where Part two. It, where Jason was wearing the fucking burlap sack on his head, and he looked like Scarecrow. Two. Two. I'm still... I'm still amazed. Okay. Two. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the hockey mask was iconic, but how do you rate two over one? Uh, They are rating it exclusively based on the text of this because I I think the guy that wrote this list has a hard-on for the lady that played Jenny because he keeps gushing about how she was the best final girl ever. Oh, oh, yeah. Final something. I don't want to be near his keyboard. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about films that, you know, Friday the 13th, you're talking about a film there that, you know, was a touchstone in the genre. Why would you pick the sequel over the original? I I, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, number two, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. The original mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I don't you gotta know. Admit, that, that's, that's iconic. It's that's iconic. iconic. But as a straight-up slasher film, I don't know that I would give it the number two spot. In fact, even in its own series, for all that Nightmare on Elm Street did, I still maintain that Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, is the pinnacle of Freddy Krueger lore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... That's a good one. It is uh, the number two spot. Good old Freddy taking taking his bow. Yeah, I don't think I'd put it in number two as well. It's definitely in the top ten. I'd probably even put it in the top five. I think it would crest the top five for sure. But I, 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 I mean, also was... think that, that, like I said, Dream Warriors would be above it. Because it's one mm-hmm. of the few, very few sequels that surpassed the original, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. sequels added that almost like dark comedic element that was missing from a lot of horror films. Like they, it lost a little gravitas, but they were a lot more fun. If I, if it's okay to say that a slasher film is fun. Well, you know, what's sure. not fun. The number one entry on this list. <laughs> oh boy. April fool's day, 1986. No. There's nothing remarkable uh, about yeah. this film at all. No. Zero. I mean, there's no redemption for a killer. There's no character development. It is not a good movie. And it is not number one for the best fucking. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I mean, how did that make number one on the list? Did he give any sort of, like, reasoning behind his selection there? Quote, April Fool's Day is a great blend of scary and fun with an amazing twist ending. As a concept and Mm. premise, the story follows the slasher recipe of having a killer in an isolated setting. But the uniqueness and delivery and execution is what really makes this movie work. The story is about a group of college students who spend their spring break on a rich friend's secluded island. In the midst of fun and games, some of the students go missing and turn up dead. No shit. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's pretty much cut and paste for a horror for a slasher film in the eighties. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank um, you. Formulaic. I, Formulaic. I mean. Yeah, the, if the, uh, the comedic elements were so good, I can't remember any of the 
like uh, the comedic elements from that film. I just remember not being a huge fan. If you want co comedy in a horror movie, then do go to like House or something like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, or Reanimator. Reanimator. Like yes. That. Yes. Reanimator is yes. a great choice. Uh, Evil Dead Two has yeah. some. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Once again, movie web, get fucked. <laughs> oh my god. It was not fun at all. <laughs> yep. The folks that wrote that thing done lost their fucking minds. Well, we are at the end of our journey for this week. I know it's bittersweet, but we'll be back next week full strength or at least two-thirds strength <laughs> with a regularly scheduled episode for your enjoyment. I really hope you enjoyed the look back at the classic segment where we talked about the death of the friendly local gaming store. And I hope you got a chuckle and agreed with us, right? I don't always say agree with us, but God, that list was atrocious. You better agree with us on the list about the horror movies. I want to take a moment to remind you to do a couple of things. Go to at NerdCognito on X, you know, the website formerly known as Twitter, and give that account a follow. It will keep you abreast of all of the news and stuff that we're going to talk about. No, 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 no. You're not going to hear the music this week. Um, but it is a preview into the world of Nerd Cognito. So not only do you get to see glimpses of what's going to come out on an upcoming episode, but you get to experience that same feeling that you're getting right now listening to the show every day on Twitter. I also want to thank everybody and take a moment. Um, some of you that were paying attention uh, know that I released the alpha preview of Aura's The Role-Playing Game on Drive-Thru RPG and on Giant Slayer Games and possibly in a couple of other locations by the time this drops. I have gotten great feedback, good criticism, and I cannot thank you all enough for taking the time to read that 30-some-odd pages and really look at a window into the world of Auras. Auras is by no means done yet. You know, I can't do it without you guys. So in all sappy seriousness, I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you're not subscribed to our show, go to the podcast provider, of your choice, probably the one you're listening to us on right now, and smash the subscribe button. We got blasted with some Sparkle Troll reviews last week. <laughs> That's my fault. I did that on, on Twitter. You know, I can't help myself sometimes. So if you are so inclined, you can drop us a five-star review to counterbalance those sparkly ones. It's much appreciated. That is all we've got for you this week. Uh, we will be back with a speakeasy. I don't know who's going to be on the speakeasy next Saturday. You know that this prior speakeasy had Bert 
And uh, Bert's streaming debut, uh, he was a little shaken up <laughs> by the streaming, but I think he did a great job on the speakeasy. And hey, you all got to listen to Bert for a little bit longer, so that's a good thing. This coming speak on Rumble and streaming live on X, uh, well, well, we'll see what it brings. You know, there's never a script. There's never an agenda. It's just us talking. So do that, too. I believe that is all of the stuff you need to do. Let's see. Follow Nerdcognino. Yep, yep, yep. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast player. Yep, yep, yep. Make sure you're following on the video platform for the speakeasy. Check, check, check. So with that being said, this very different episode of Nerdcognito is going to come to a close. My name is Ryan David. I thank you for listening, and we will talk at you next week. Bert would say something here. Nerd! And then Kyle would say something here. Bye, everybody. <laughs>